G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We could and we should influence schools. We could and we should influence local government. We could and we should influence the state legislators. We could and we should influence our federal government. But I want to tell you what the Word of God says, that the way to do that is by uplifting Jesus as the only answer, as the only solution to all of our problems. Thanks for joining pastor and author of more than 40 books, Dr. Michael Youssef for leading the way. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, Jesus taught what we call the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most powerful teaching ever taught by anyone, because it's a look at the heart of God the Father, directly from His Son. Today, Dr. Yusuf begins a new series called Living Out the Master's Manifesto, looking beyond the words in this sermon to the obedience, sacrifice, and life change that comes through following God in everyday life. Here now is Dr. Michael Youssef with words about engaging with our culture. Steve Jobs, when he began Apple Computer, was very, a very modest company and he was struggling and he was trying to make Apple to be a, a household name. But he knew in his heart that he could not do that without the help of some marketing executive, some top marketing guy. And as he looked at the marketing people around, he discovered, at least in his mind, that the person who can really help him to take this computer that he has been working on into a national and international level was a man who was 38 years of age. At 38 years of age, John Scully became the president of Pepsi-Cola. And by the way, I'm not endorsing either of those two companies. So in a typical worldly fashion, Jobs took Scully, wined him and dined him and made him all kinds of offers to come and leave Pepsi-Cola and go and work with him and, and really make that computer company what it is today. But Scully refused again and again. Every offer, he said, no way. He said, I cannot leave the security and the success and all that I have achieved right here. I will not do it. He gave him offers of partnership, gave him offers of money, offers of all kinds of things. He said, no way, I'm not leaving. Finally, in the last day, they were together. And they're sitting in Scully's office in the skyscrapers of New York. And Jobs looked out at the city of New York. And he said, I am giving you an opportunity to change the world. But you seem to be contented in making sugar water. (laughs) It was this single piercing question which leveraged the greatest weight in Scully's decision to leave the security of Pepsi and go with Apple for an opportunity to use Jobs' words, change the world. And I must admit to you, when I read this, I literally came out of my seat And I said, surely computers changing things, changing the way we operate. But I want to tell you that there is nothing and nobody can change the world like the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. He was saying to every one of his followers that I am giving you an opportunity to be world changer. Don't settle for sugar water. Listen to what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, 
How will its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Now you've heard the statement when somebody is referring to people who are hardworking, honest people, they refer to as the salt of the earth. That's where that compliment has come from, from this verse. In the ancient Near East, salt was so highly valued. Salt was so valuable that Roman soldiers received their wages, received their income in salt. And when they did not receive enough of their salt ration, they protested, they revolted. In fact, the very word that we have, salary, the word that we receive as as income, the word salary means salt money. That's what it literally means, where it comes from. And that is why you hear the phrase that he's not worth his salt. (laughs) means he's not worth the salary that he's making. He's not worth what he's being paid. And today, when we have this salt-free society kind of salt mentality, it's hard to understand the importance of salt in Jesus' day. Salt was a very serious business. In fact, the Greeks called it divine. The Romans used to say that there is nothing more useful than sun and salt. So when Jesus' original hearers heard him saying, you are the salt of the earth, they understood how valuable, they understood how critical they are for the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, how valuable they are in their ministry. We might ask ourselves, how can we be a salt to a sophisticated world? How can we be a salt to the professors of the evolution? How can we be salt to the massive attack of the media upon our faith? How can we be salt to the scientifically knowledgeable? How can we be salt to the technological know-how? I want to tell you, we can be and we will be because Jesus says so. And he said that to these men and it happened. They became salt of the earth. Of them, the world says they turned the world upside down. And today those words are directed to every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're just as relevant today as they were the day Jesus pronounced those words to his original disciples. For in our day, we may have advanced technology. But I want to tell you, as you already know, that we have lost our peace of mind. Today, we may have an increase in scientific accomplishment, but we have lost our sense of purpose. Today, we may know how to get to the moon, but we don't know how to stop violence in the streets. Today, we can communicate with the speed of lightning, but we cannot put a halt to drugs and to addiction. And it seems that with the increase of our mechanical knowledge, there comes a decrease in the knowledge of God. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, he knew that our world in which we live has within it the seed of rotting, the seed of corruption, the seed of decaying. Now there's some scientists today who think that we can have a sin-free society through genetic engineering. There are some scientists today who are proposing that with a careful electronic stimulation of the brain, we can actually erase a person's bad impulses. Now here's their naivete. Here's where they fail completely. Is that man is corrupt to the core. Not just few cells in the brain. 
modern scientists, and please understand me, I'm not against science. I am all for science. I believe science is very important. I believe our young people should pursue the highest level of scientific research because all we are doing is we are discovering more and more of what God has already put in motion in creation. So I'm not against science. But these godless scientists like Karl Marx before them, who thought that all of man's problem is dependent on economics. If you solve the economic question, man will become perfect. And what have we got? The horrors of communism. That is the ignorance and naivete of those who do not know God. Please hear me right. There is a biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview is summarized in Psalm 51 and verse 5. It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Christian worldview is summarized in what the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And Jesus is saying to his followers in this generation, those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying to us, you are the salt of the earth. Well, I thought... Before I really get into my sermon, (laughs) I want to tell you that basically there are seven things that the Bible said about salt that salt can accomplish. I'm going to tell you very quickly because I don't have the time to go in details in each one. In Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13, the Bible said salt is a sign, it's a symbol of binding of a contract. And it's still happening in the Near East today. When two people sign a contract together, they bring a plate of salt and some bread and they dip in it and eat it together. And when they are estranged and not talking to each other and become reconciled, they do the same thing as if to say, with this salt that we're eating together, we are binding our relationship. And secondly, the Bible said in 2 Kings 2.20 that salt is a healing agent and has a cleansing effect. In Mark 9.50, it says that salt promotes peace. In Colossians 4.6, it is an evidence of grace. In Job 6.6, stimulates the appetite. In Luke 14.34, it stimulates our testimony. And here in Matthew 5.13, our text for today, it is a preservative from decaying. Look at the context of Matthew 5. Jesus is telling his disciples today, Those who live by the master's manifesto. He is telling them what impact they will have upon their environment. If someone is going to live next to a Christian. Or if someone is going to work next to a Christian. And if those people are cautious, they will conduct an environmental impact study. And they ought to find the following. Warning, salt is found nearby. Be careful. These pronouns, both in verse 13 and verse 14 of Matthew 5, they are emphatic. I want to tell you what emphatic does not mean. Then I'm going to tell you what it does mean. Emphatic here does not mean that you can be salt if you want to. (laughs) It does not mean that uh, you can be light if you feel like it. That's not what it means. But rather it says that you are salt whether you like it or not. You are light whether you feel up to it or not. Jesus' original hearers knew what Jesus is saying to them. That they have an extremely important and urgent function in society. They knew that they are a valuable commodity. They knew that they are vitally important in society. And you know what most Jesus' disciples today 
do. You can't hardly distinguishing them from the rest of the world. There are basically four views what being salt means, and I'm going to give you every one of them, and I'm going to tell you that uh, none of them really is the right one. (laughs) There are some commentators who have said that the whiteness of the salt, because that whiteness represents a standard of purity, that whiteness represents a standard of righteousness, which while it is true, and that we, the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, ought to uphold the standard of purity. We uphold the standard of righteousness. But the color of the salt is not the primary issue here. Then there's some other group who have emphasized the flavoring purpose of salt. <laughs> Namely, that Christians add divine flavor to the world in which they live. And that might sound good. In many ways, it really is a true principle. <laughs> The world has never thought of Christian as flavorful. That's the last thing, that's the way they would describe us. The world has always felt that the Christians are unpalatable. The world always felt that Christians are stifling, they are cramping their style. The world has often felt that Christians are raining on their parade, especially their morality and promiscuousness. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes who once said that uh, he might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen he knew had not looked and acted so much as undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson once entered a very curious sentence in his diary. It reads, I have been to church today. I'm not depressed. (laughs) End of quote. The world does not value the concept of flavor of the salt. And that is why the Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. He said, Christians are the aroma from life to life and a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And they are an aroma of death to death among those who are perishing. Then there's a third group of writers who have focused their attention on the stinging impact of the salt upon a wound. And true, the church ought to be a rebuke and a judgment upon the sin of the world. The church ought to rub the world the wrong way. But unfortunately, what is happening today is not only that the church is not serving as a sting for the sin, the church is serving like molasses or honey to smooth the sin over. There's a fourth group of writers or commentators who have attempted to explain Christians as salt. They said that Christians in society must create thirst for God just as salt creates thirst for water. And that's a fine idea. In fact, medically I'm told that uh, without the proper percentage of salt in the body, the body dehydrates and dies. But that's not what Jesus intended by saying to us, that you are the salt of the earth. Every one of these analogies, every one of them has validity. Every one of them has importance, but I don't want you to miss the real meaning of what Jesus intended. 
Yes, for Christians to be pure and represent purity, absolutely. Yes, for the Christians to be attractive and make the gospel attractive. Yes, for Christians to stand for the truth, no matter how much or who it may sting. Yes, for Christians to be in their life, create thirst for God. Yes. But the main purpose of Jesus' description of his followers of being salt is to preserve culture. Preserve society. That's what salt is used for in the time of Jesus. And what Jesus is saying to his followers is this. You are the salt of the earth. Not possibly. Not you may be or you can be. No, you are. You have no choice but to preserve the world from rotting. To preserve the world from decaying. You have no choice. Imagine how society that seemed to be sinking and sinking more and more into the abyss. I want you to imagine what will happen to this society after the Lord Jesus takes his believers home to heaven. Imagine what will happen. Satan who's now being held in check by the power of the believers, the Holy Spirit that is given to the believers is going to have a high day. Imagine the wickedness and evil that is being restrained now because of the prayers of the believers, because of the fasting of the believers, because of the preaching of the gospel. I want you to imagine how they're going to be unleashed upon the earth. But until this day, you and I are to be like lumps of salt stacked between fish and stop it from rotting. And the rotting fish It's in your neighborhoods, it's in your offices, it's in your clubs, it's in your associations, it's in your schools, it's in your colleges. Wherever you may be, there is rotting fish that needs to be kept from rotting society. How do we do that? By declaring to our world there is only one solution, there's one answer, and his name is Jesus. We could and we should influence schools. We could and we should influence school boards. We could and we should influence local government. We could and we should influence the state legislators. We could and we should influence our federal government. But I want to tell you what the Word of God says. That the way to do that is by uplifting Jesus as the only answer, as the only solution. To all of our problems. Listen to me. Our problem is not economics. Our problem is moral. And the only way we can solve our moral problem is by returning to Jesus Christ. We can talk to unbelievers about family values until we are blue in the face. They will not understand us until their heart become regenerated. And changed. We can talk about cleaning the media, cleaning the movies, cleaning television, as if we are speaking a foreign language to unregenerated heart. Jesus is the answer. Our saltness has to do with bringing men and women to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Our saltness has to do with bringing men and women to the power of Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully, please. I'm coming to the very last part of this message and this is a challenge for every one of you I pray that you respond to that challenge now 
Jesus said that his followers can lose their saltness. He didn't say you lose your salvation. He said you lose your saltness. In fact, I'm told that salt as this sodium chloride is a very stable chemical compound. Which is really very resistant to attack. Very interesting that Jesus will use salt. And the only thing that will weaken its effectiveness is when it's mixed with other contaminants. The only thing is going to weaken the effectiveness of the salt is when it is contaminated with impurities. Then it will not only become useless, it becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous. There is no more dangerous person than a half-baked Christian who had just inoculated enough to know a few things but never brought it to the truth of coming to his or her knees to the cross of Jesus Christ. These salty salt cannot be used as fertilizer, cannot be used because it will kill the plants. It cannot be used anywhere else except to be thrown out in the streets and with the compacting factor of people walking on it and animals walking on it, it will stop the road from eroding. Jesus said that the Christians are in danger of losing their saltness. They are in danger of losing their effectiveness. They are in danger of losing their influence. They are in danger of losing their impact upon society. Please hear me right. Our impact upon society does not depend upon some clever methods. Our impact upon society does not depend on lobbying or marching. Our impact upon society depends upon being distinct from society. Our impact upon society is dependent on not being mixed so much with society that people really can't tell a difference. If you're hanging around somewhere, your office, your neighborhood, and people don't know that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, something wrong. Your saltness is not working. Jesus said it would be useful for nothing except to be thrown out. I pray to God that one person who's hearing me today would be in that predicament. Dr. Michael Yusuf with encouragement to be salt in your home, workplace, and church, wherever God has placed you. If you would like to talk with someone about what it means to be a follower of Christ and practical ways to be salt, make sure you visit ltw.org slash Jesus or call 1-300-133-589. Never before has our nation been so divided, so distracted, so prone to seeking our own way. Yet for the believer, we are called to a hope that does not disappoint. Join Leading the Way's newest initiative, Awake Australia, a call to God's people to pray for a spiritual awakening like we have never witnessed before. We are asking Bible-believing Christians all over the country to join us as we pray in our neighbourhoods, our cities and on our campuses. Pray that God will bring salvation and revival to our land. Will you partner with Leading the Way by joining this growing movement to Awake Australia? Together, we will proclaim the uncompromising truth of Christ. To join us in this critical mission, 
Go to ltw.org and sign up today. To learn more about Awake Australia, visit the website ltw.org, ltw.org. Or you can always call us on 1300 133 589. One of our ministry representatives will be happy to guide you. 1300 133 589. Because you are the light of the world, whether you like it or not, whether you choose it or not, therefore you are to shine. Where should you shine? In the church on Sunday morning? No. Jesus would have said you are the light of the church, and he didn't say that. (laughs) Jesus said you are the light of the world. The light must shine at work and at leisure. Everywhere you go, the light has to be there because you are the light. Well, our time is just about gone for today. But please join us again next time for another message in Dr. Yusuf's practical series, Living Out the Master's Manifesto on Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.